Welcome to Crossing the Chasm, a sound physician's podcast covering a broad range of topics relating to diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare. And now, here's your host, Dr. Greg Johnson. Welcome back. A recent McKinsey report spent some time evaluating women in medicine, or women in the workplace specifically, and evaluated representation, attrition, promotion rates, external hiring, barriers to advancement, and threats to recent gains. It's a pretty comprehensive report. And noted that, particularly in healthcare, that the representation of women uh, in healthcare, particularly leadership positions, outpaced a number of other industries. Nevertheless, that increased representation uh, didn't necessarily correct for the overall lack of representation at senior levels. There were persistent levels of higher attrition, lower promotion rates, and a number of other considerations that were uh, in the report that note that progress has certainly been made, uh, but there is certainly remain opportunities going forward. In this episode, we're joined by Annie Fowler, who's the Chief Papal Officer for Sound Physicians, who shares her journey, uh, as well as her struggles in the areas that she is continuing to work on uh, to advance uh, DEI, to um, evaluate uh, opportunities to be more inclusive uh, in a healthcare environment uh, and ongoing areas of opportunity. Welcome to our podcast today. I am very excited to be joined by what I've now figured out to be a longtime friend and colleague for the last 15 years, Annie Fowler, who is the Chief People Officer for Sound Physicians. Welcome, Annie. Glad to be here. So we are super excited just to get this opportunity to you know, have a diversity, equity, inclusion discussion with you. And as we are doing with all of our guests. Um, I know you pretty well, but I am always fascinated by hearing people's stories. And so if you wouldn't mind, um, as part of the DEI theory, it's mm -hmm. really about making sure that we are really delving into our humanity and really better yeah. understanding people and what better way to hear um, people's stories. So without further ado, Annie, tell us what you would love to tell us about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me. Uh, this is a pleasure and um, I'll, I'll keep it short. But uh, so I, um, I feel actually to be a, a, a very lucky individual. Um, I come from my father is a retired colonel, colonel of the army. So I'm somebody that has moved around quite a bit, had to make friends quite a bit from different bases that we lived on. I'm the youngest of three girls. Uh, so my poor uh, dad was surrounded by four women. Um, and uh, also, I, I attribute a lot of my success and who I am as a human being, my parents and my dad in particular, his uh, dedication to serve, um, two tours in v Vietnam and uh, being in Korea for two years. And so, um, you know, I just have a, a, a incredible respect for those in the military. And I think it's made me a lot of who I am and my core values. Um, 
And then just a little bit about me professionally and personally. I am a proud uh, wife of 20 years uh, to my husband, Scott. I have three kids myself, a son and two daughters, uh, two French Bulldogs, and um, I consider them my children as well. Um, and I've been here at Sound for 15 years. So like you just said, Greg, we've known each other a long time, recruited you a long time ago. Uh, so I'm sure there's a voodoo doll somewhere uh, with some pins and needles in it. I feel it every now and then, but uh, it's just been such a privilege. And um, in terms of my connection to specifically our DEI program at Sound is uh, we didn't have any DEI program at Sound. Uh, quite frankly, we were on, slow on the uptake and really, it wasn't until 2019, 2020, arguably way late, uh, that got really involved and um, ha has now become a passion to create this culture within the organization and weave it into everything we do. Um, and as you well know, it's not the easiest thing to do. It, it takes a village to make that happen. And so it's just a privilege to be a part of the DEI Council. Well, thanks. I think, uh, Annie, what I do know about you is you're probably underselling what you did uh, in terms of getting things launched because it really was um, your efforts. Um, and I, I actually do consider them pretty heroic to get us off the ground. And so I know I personally thank you for, for everything that you did. But shifting, you mentioned a word, which I think is pretty important, which is passionate. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about what what in DEI or what aspect of DEI really gets you passionate about the work? Oh, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> well, it's a mixed blessing a little bit that I have had the opportunity to be a part of our executive leadership team, but as a single, the single female on a nine member group up until about a year ago. Um, and with that, I had every issue you can possibly think of, imposter syndrome, I don't belong here, challenges with um, expressing my voice, and uh, some of that still endures, you know, to be perfectly honest. And I think about um, my girls and, and how we can create an environment that really allows everyone to have the opportunity to speak and be heard um, and that we respect diverse point of view. And to me, that is where the passion comes from, is that I actually don't want my kids or anybody to feel like that their voice isn't heard. Um, and so the, I think that's where it's coming from. Yeah, I, again, I know my interactions with you, you can feel it when, you, <laughs> when you're really digging into it, um, because I don't know if it was intentional or not that you got a little choked up, but I can imagine that you were thinking about your daughter <laughs> and, and immediately... It became um, it became relevant. Uh, you know, you you mentioned there's so much to unpack in terms of what you were sharing <laughs> and everything else. You've your I mean your story with respect to your growth within sound and and now being a chief people officer is, is a pretty remarkable one. Um, you know, without spending exhaustive amount of time discussing, you know, your your version of Im imposter syndrome and, and things of that nature. Like, tell, tell me a little bit about that, because, again, having had maybe a closer window into what's going on, it's a huge surprise, mm -hmm. but I guess it shouldn't be sort of conflicted in terms of that. So I, I mean, if you don't mind sharing mm -hmm. 
tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, not at all. Um, well, good, then I get an Oscar. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, it, it exists. I think, um, you know, we've, we have an environment where there are some loud voices and to be able to speak and uh, really feel like you're heard um, requires also some discipline and when to speak up and like how you say things with clarity. And so that I've had to do some introspection there. But at the end of the day, um, we're all better off if we actually do give that feedback. And I feel like the more that you can actually embrace it, you do feel better on the other side. So it's taken me some training and I've talked to other leaders about it. And it's um, it's one of those things that like, you know, uh, don't feel like you've left the room if there's something you really need to say. And I have an, I feel like I have a responsibility here at Sound and in the role that I'm in now. Shame on me. Shame on me if I feel like that I'm not representing the voice of the people here at Sound. And that's what my responsibility is. So I need to check myself at the door. And so I put that pressure on myself. But left to my own devices, sometimes it's easier to crawl back in the hole and let other, you know, stronger voices talk. But as you know, Greg, you know, that's where we end up in the echo chamber. And that's not a good place to be. That's not that, you know, that's not good for the organization or anybody. Well, and you bring up an excellent point, which is in so many instances, and I know when in my own view of DEI, the concern is we can't have you or me or anybody else like I, like if I don't get it right, mm -hmm. like, there's nobody else in this room to correct it. <laughs> it's true. It's I, pressure. You're right. It's and and that can it, you know as you were discussing that I was sitting there going okay well vicious cycle. They let me in the room. I'm the only person in the room. What right. do I have, what I have to do next is a tremendous it's a tremendous amount of pressure. Um and uh yeah and so. What did you, what were your coping mechanisms? You said a little bit of training um, and what else did you do? It's interesting. I actually do have some strategies. Um, I, uh, you know, I, sometimes I just have to write things down a little bit to say, okay, am I really getting the point across that I need to? Um, I do some deep breathing and, you know, just try to keep myself from getting, you know, worked up a little bit because some of these conversations can be charged, right? Um, but I still go back to, and not that I necessarily want to bring a ton of data into this, but I think there is so much powerful data that represents the fact that the organization will perform better, create more opportunities for our people for growth and the ability for people to thrive if we speak up. So, you know, again, it's like, check yourself, you know, it's not about you. It's if you have a pulse on something and you have a strong point of view, then this organization like meaningfully can do better. It just the science is there in, you know, McKinsey studies and I mean, HBR, you can you name it. Right. It's it's just so pervasive and so in your face that it is just an obligation. It's not like we're the board. Right. If I was on a governance board, I would be doing the same thing. I'm a part of the leadership team. So why shouldn't we do all that? So I think that's just our obligation. It's kind of like, you know, you got to get over it. That's what my dad would say. That's what the colonel would say. He'd say, check yourself, speak up, and don't be afraid. So, 
Well, all of that it comes out loud and clear, and, it, and you're right. Uh, you probably do deserve an Oscar, at least at a, at for a certain point in time, for everything that you've you've managed to do. Because uh, again, the, the passion is there. Um, you, a little bit change in topic, but maybe not. Um, what inspires you? What inspires you on a daily basis, or who inspires you? You can answer either one of those. Oh gosh. Um... A lot of things inspire me. Um, uh, you know, it's interesting at Sound here more recently, and you know, this is on a personal level, but I think uh, if you guys have tuned into our employer value proposition, we came up with a tagline re tagline recently that says "Calling for the bold," right? And and it's kind of this double entendre of a lot of people just truly feel like going into healthcare, whether you're at the bedside or beyond, is it's a calling. We're, we're just helping human, you know, mankind, if you will, you know, literally. Um, and then this bold aspect is, you know, we're just calling for people to take smart risks, to challenge things, to um, resist safe and familiar and those types of things. And so honestly, something that just really inspires me is being surrounded by people that are bold. Um, and that's probably what's kept me here at 15 years. It's probably why I've been married for 20 years as my husband's bold in the way that he makes decisions. Like I'm inspired by people that like to challenge things. And um, I just feel that energy more and more. And it's a tough environment right now. Like no question, you know, our organization, organizations around us, it's tough, but it actually requires people to be even bolder. Right. And you know, it's it's like calling on those things, you know, the, of being resilient and that type of thing. So kind of a strange answer. But I mean, I just feel like more recently being surrounded by people that are, are like minded in that way and want to just say, we're going to get this done isn't truly inspiring to me. That's an awesome answer. Got me choked up for a second. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, that's that's fabulous, and I do think that um, I, you're you're right at the heart of this. And I think as we continue to think about diversity, equity, inclusion as things as as not just a topic, but something generally that we want to interlace in, in terms of what we're doing, it it ultimately comes back to people and how we treat people and how we seek. You, know, you said like-minded, but it's seeking people that are like-minded in terms of the ideal, but not necessarily the approach. And that's that's the 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 unique aspect of it. Um, I, thinking back to a conversation I had where somebody was like, "Well, see, you said that you wanted like-minded people," and I was like, "You don't want to get it, but that's okay." <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. I want like-minded people that are going to challenge me, right? That they're going to have that same desire to challenge exactly. and to discuss and have you know diverse points of view. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't need a yes person. That's not gonna I'm not gonna get anywhere there. But yeah, exactly. Uh, it never does. Well, it, if, you know, we, it, DEI always gets lumped together. And is there any particular aspect, like any one of those topics that, again, going back to your other word, that it was about passion and anything that you felt really strongly about? Um, is there one of them? And do you remember when that passion was uh, lit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because I, like a lot of people, have been on their own journey, right, with DEI. And I know I come from like a gender perspective and, you know, my perspective there, but otherwise have been pretty privileged in terms of 
you know, my background. Um, and I think uh, it has been so eye-opening to be able to interact with the DEI council and have some like uncomfortable conversations. And um, man, they, you know, in the moment it feels awkward and, you know, I've had some real conversations where I've been really vulnerable and other people have been vulnerable. And that is when I have learned the most, like where I've actually said things that were microaggressions by myself, not recognizing I had done that. And to hear perspective and that people felt safe enough that we could have the dialogue one-on-one -on -one and then sometimes in a group has given me such an appreciation and understanding of like, it is hard stuff, but if you don't really create that space for those kinds of conversations, then we're really not going to actually have the progress. It's going to be like kind of, you know, glazing over it. So I think another part of this passion that's coming through is, man, what it would, how cool would it be if we kind of can make that a little bit more comfortable, uncomfortable conversations, comfortable moving forward, because to me, I think that really could show even more demonstrable progress. So I think when you say passion, it's like doing some real self-reflection um, through this process and reading, you know, and just realizing there's a lot to learn and understand, uh, have so much more to do. So that, that to me is something that uh, I think, Greg, you've done a great job with like really, you know, creating those conversations within the DEI council. You know, um, and I think that's a place to start. Oh, uh, thank you for that, and thank you for for sharing that. I'm going to come back to what you what you read because we we always want to make sure that we're leaving people with yeah. um with something there. Um, so I'm going to completely go off page and um, decide that to, to open it up because it's got to be a different way, and I don't want to be the one sitting here grilling you with like 90 million questions about um, whatever, including asking you uh, your own story and what you're, you're um, passionate about. So I'm going to open it up, and maybe we're going to start something new. What's something that you want to ask me about this topic, if you've thought about anything? Yeah, oh gosh, I, you know, and you and I talk freely but i you know i do reflect on the fact that you have moved into this role as chief diversity officer you know in title but i think arguably you know through your time here at sound have been very consistent in obviously bringing this up to the organization and now really have a formalized role like how do you feel about it uh uh, that's an own podcast to itself. I know. Know. Well, <laughs> it's a loaded one. But it's and hey, I that's the reason I asked because maybe that's what we're gonna do. It's the loaded question. And that may be the title of what we come up with <laughs> from now on. Um I, I I think you know my own we we things that we share together are it's about my dad and thinking about how um, I was raised in how you're supposed to show up and, you know, and, and, you know, it's, oh, how are you supposed to show up? You're, you know, I was like, no, it's ultimately who you want to be with when everybody's around and when nobody's around. And, uh, you know, we're all human beings and certainly imperfect, but the, the goal is for me to show up and say, it's, you know, and take on that weight in terms of saying, yeah, it's okay to say the uncomfortable thing in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because um, one of the things that was has always been important to me 
um, and I'll have to explore why a little bit later on was don't be afraid of being first. Um, the, you know, the, the first person through the door usually takes a whole lot of shrapnel as they're coming through, but they're making way for the people that are behind you. Um, and I think it's ultimately been important for me to recognize that uh, I knew it wasn't going to be easy um, to, to the point is that we um, in sound, we have been a little late to the party. Um, there's a lot of catching up to do and um, and they're still convincing that's going along the way in terms of ensuring that this is um, not just uh, an extra activity, but work that is necessary for us to evolve as an organization. Um, um, and so th those are always going to be frustrating and there's always, it's, it's always going to be like, uh, you know, why do I have to explain this for the umpteen time? I feel like I'm repeating myself, but, you know, recognizing that it's being water on a rock and eventually the rock mm -hmm. is going to break. And so I think, um, you know, at times frustrating, at times uh, it, it, it's a very heavy burden, um, but at times it's also rewarding because I, I too get to, um, you know, there are always little nuggets out there that, uh, you know, are like, hey, there's progress being made here. I'm um, we talk about the DEI Council and, and those who aren't uh, part of Sound and Listening. It was Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Council because we actually wanted to be inclusive about where we're taking this and what this means in multiple layers. Um, it's uh, making sure that the organization dedicates resources. We have a podcast that Sound is supporting to be able to do that. It's working with fantastic people. Uh, you'll never see him, folks, but my producer here, Jay Lee, is uh, on the... <laughs> Is, is lurking in the background and he's ensured that this will never make video so he doesn't have to be seen but getting to work more closely with him and watch his development and watch his passion in, in terms of taking on these these tasks um and, and quite honestly taking you know the work that any of you and your team have done in terms of aggregating data mm -hmm. and and for the first time ever sound looking at itself in the mirror and not everything we saw was pretty, um, not from the clinical side, not from the operations side, not everything. And acknowledging that and now being able to put steps in places, you know, it's, you know, I'll never feel like it's enough, but um, it's, you know, so far, you know, I'll take the well, baby. You have, you have another job too, <laughs> just in case you didn't know that. A CEO of a specialty, but, you know, and I think that's a great answer. I, I just was, you know, I care about you and I, I know that's all, it's a really heavy lift, but I also know, you know, just uh, energy that you're bringing to the organization around this um, and the external information that you're bringing and, and really making sure that we're schooled up. You know, I think it's like, you know, it has to have accountability and ownership here at Sound. And I think in that way, you know, we're really, you know, it's a gift to us. You know, I just really appreciate everything that you've shared so far. But I think, you know, just thinking a lot about DEI, I think initially I always think about um, race. But I think in the last couple of years, I've been learning a lot um, just that the challenges DEI in terms of just gender and equity for the challenges that that women face and how that's just an important part of DEI as well. And I think, you know, you're a little bit what you shared with your journey kind of has pointed to that. But I really wanted to kind of take it from the other side and with your role now in shaping a culture and really kind of understanding it, 
better. Because I mean, the reality is Greg and I are just two guys. Um, and <laughs> as much as we try to be sensitive and understand yeah. these things, I mean, yeah. we can only understand so much and really want to hear from you. Yeah, it's such a great question. So I think the biggest challenge, and we actually had this as one of the topics in our Women of Sound um, resource group. We One of our first topics was the issue of the double bind, um, which you may be familiar with, but it's just the situation where, you know, as a female, there's this place you can put yourself in with between a rock and a hard place between being perceived as passive or essentially aggressive and emotional. Like there's like two ends of the spectrum. So one of the biggest issues I experience as a leader um, and see other female leaders deal with is when we do have passion for a topic or if we have um, a really strong point of view is figuring out how to navigate and communicate our perspectives without looking aggressive or labeled emotional. It's happened to me personally many times. Um, and I, you know, I, everybody has different communication styles, but really trying to figure out in a male dominated leadership team how to express in a way that folks will listen and engage has been incredibly challenging. Um, and so as a, as a group, we got together and actually talked about that and also alluded to, which we can, you know, some of the reading that you can do is to really think about how to get your perspectives across when really this is almost no different than if you, you know, the disc profiles where you talk about different communication styles and how people have to shift in different ways to communicate to different people. But, you know, we feel like this pressure to be the ones that are changing the way we communicate, when in fact, everybody it has an obligation to actually meet the other person in the way that they're communicating without making value judgments around how they're getting coming across. And so to me, as a female leader, I would love to really dig into that particular piece because leaders, women need to be able to speak clearly, concisely with passion and, you know, around what they think is really important to move the needle and to perform and to, you know, get results. Um, but without this fear of being perceived as, um, like I said, aggressive or just emotional and, and can't control those kinds of things, it's, it's, it's something that I would like to dig into more. And I will tell you, one of the best things we did here, for those that really engaged in the learning on the SCARF model, where you think about safety, you think about, um, you know, relatedness and um, fairness and those types of things, that for me was a perfect framework for us to be able to teach best practices and recognize and understand when those types of things are happening. And for women leaders, when it's happening at that time, that they feel comfortable speaking up and saying, hold on a minute, let's talk about that, you know, and, and, and actually put a pause on it. So to me, I feel like we started down that path. We potentially had, you know, a framework in which to have these conversations. Um, it just needs to, again, transcend the organization more. Leaders need to be accountable for learning it and understanding it and calling each other out when it's happening. One question with that. Um, I'm wondering, like, this is both personally for myself, but also 
would hope you know listeners would be interested and want to learn this as well. Is there any like advice you'd give for someone like myself? Like, how do how do I become like an advocate? Right. I I think a lot of times it's in subtle ways. It's I'm not a leader, but I'm you know in the company I work with people. And like, how do I support that? Or you know, so make sure that you know you're being heard. And like, how so how do I encourage that or or support you? Oh, that's fantastic. Well, <clears throat> I think um, one of the things that I have done and, and it's been helpful is to find partners like you that you know I know care about my you know development here and and being successful as a leader and do some consensus building and talking with them and saying here's a point of view this is what I want to share on this meeting going forward will you give me some feedback you know let's talk about how I would frame that and actually use that individual to really help create the conversation and the talk track so you know we're really actually it's a compelling argument but you know, to me, building consensus with other leaders, like Greg's a great example. Greg, you and I have one-on-ones. We align on a lot of things sometimes. And we're like, how would we go about, you know, getting our point across in this kind of environment when we know we have the, you know, minority opinion, you know, on some of these things. And so talking with allies like that, I think has been really helpful. It, it helps me have courage, helps him have courage. And we, you know, are in those environments where we support each other. Awesome. And I guess one last question. I'm sorry, Greg, I'm cutting you off here. Um, go, one other question I have, I have that I, I think about like, you know, w in this journey, I guess I'm kind of curious, what would you envision if we were looking at like 2030, seven years from now, what would you, I know we're not going to be perfect. That's, that's just not where we are. But in this journey, what would, what would you hope this could look like possibly? Well, I think what you're asking is like, how would I define a truly inclusive organization, because I've thought about it, you can say these words, but what does it feel like? And it really feels like where people feel their opinions count, that their voices are heard, and that there's psychological safety at every point where people are, you know, working at their highest level because they're using every part of their brain to contribute to the, you know, innovation and all these things. And that really never happens if you don't create a psychologically safe organization. And so, I mean, I know that's a big term that's been thrown around a lot these days, but it's so important that people are feeling an environment where they can be creative and people will listen to their ideas. And God knows we need that more now than we ever have, you know, in a competitive marketplace. But to me, at every level that the person feels like that, that they can say it to their manager, that the manager can say it to their manager, um, that's what an inclusive environment is from my perspective. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, Any, thank you. So I've I, I gone back and forth about how deep to get into sound specific stuff or generalize to other chief people officers with whom you have to interact. Um, but I, I, I guess I'll start with the latter, which is in getting DEI initiatives off the ground, what are you hearing from other chief people officers as the biggest barrier? Mm. You know, it's interesting because the most recent peer group that I've been connected with was actually um, probably half of the folks were domestic and half of the folks were global, right? So they were international. So people from Dubai, Singapore, Netherlands. And so that was very interesting because I would have to say that it probably magnified in some cases where the U.S. may be behind in their efforts in this way. And then actually there are some you know, areas in some cultures where they're way behind, right? So it was kind of 
interesting when you look at it from a global perspective. Um, I do think it's the last mile situation. It's to the leadership to the last mile. So how leaders are modeling behaviors and not just giving things lip service came up a lot of people saying, hey, I know, you know, now investors are looking at ESG policies and we've got to have an ESG policy. Well, it means nothing if it doesn't actually transcend your organization, right? And so there was some real conversation around actions don't support the words that are being, you know, so, so we actually got into a few, you know, groups really talking about that. Um, so I would say that. And then if you are a large organization, is how do you really, from the day the person joins the organization, from the onboarding messaging that's happening and everything, that you're really weaving that in from the very day that they start and that they know nothing else. And so it was kind of that front door to your organization when you're bringing people in at every level, but then the modeling of people's behaviors and really having those actions match words. Yeah, I, I, the, I think the hard part is about um, getting people to buy in on that modeling and how frequent it needs to actually occur for it to become an ingrained part of them and not even even that acti that action uh -huh. being a box check. Um, and so I, well, I agree with you that it is a last mile problem. Yeah, one of, sorry, I didn't interrupt, but I, there is other one thing that I thought was very interesting and I think something that I'd like to bring up um, is the movement towards executive compensation having components related to DEI progress and how, Big surprise here, spoiler alert. <laughs> when you do that, that people become more uh, engaged into the conversation of like, how does that needle actually move? And so you would think people know it's the right thing to do and that, you know, there's science to prove that it does. We talked about that earlier, but I think it's interesting the wave of organizations that have really incorporated that into executive compensation and there's a reason for it. If you had something else to add to your armamentarium right now that would help to accelerate progress, is that it? Or is there something else that you would want to have um, access to sort of accelerate DEI efforts from your perspective, whether globally or specific to, to our organization? Wow, that's a good question. Um, without having a if the guns to my head right now, I just feel like leadership behavior is so important. And if it doesn't get modeled at the top, then actually everything you do underneath that really doesn't matter because then people are doing it just on their own accord and they're not really sure. And actually they get conflicting messages when they see something happening and then they see their leaders doing something. So if I really knew that a lever for attention, prioritization, investments, communication meant that, you know, time compensation to certain you know attributable key results that we're looking for that i'd actually say that'd actually be up at the top it, it it definitely would be up the top I'd, i definitely want some other things but that to me i think would actually meaningfully move a needle well oh thank you for that i think it's it, it's i think again as part of what we're doing and that now makes a reasonable segue into the reading that you're talking about is you know one of the things that we've tried to do organizationally is be very focused and intentional like it's in the literature and you highlighted yep. earlier yep. like it's like 
diversity makes sense because it's just going to make us better. Or like, you know, you want to call us a company, it makes us a better company. You want to call us an organization, it makes us a better organization. It just no matter it. which way you slice it. Exactly. If there is there, yeah. Well, anything, um, yeah, I can anything. definitely uh, make those articles available to you. Um, what it was is I most recently went through the uh, chief human resources uh, or, um, program through Wharton Business School, and there was a whole section on board governance in particular, and several articles that are public and you know shareable. That to me just was it was like. In case you need to beat the horse dead even more, it, there's so much scientific proof that this is what an organization needs to do to thrive, to grow for, you know, and, and so to me, I will, I'll make sure that happens. Did read White Fragility and some of the other books as well that, you know, again, just it's part of that journey and understanding. But um, those articles, I think, are, are probably something the readers could, could or listeners could really benefit from. Uh, uh, absolutely, and we'll, uh, we'll make sure to make those available in the in the release notes afterwards. Um, in terms of this, um, getting back to uh, one more story, or I'm going to ask one more story uh, of you, Annie. Um, it, it, again, always uh, optional to share. But you, you know, I, I was reflecting on you were saying you've had some really hard conversations and and everything else, and sort of recognizing what. Tell me, you know, as a, I certainly recognize my own self in, as a cis male. Mm -hmm. <laughs> recognize that mm -hmm. I was just like, oh man, I've said some really crazy things a, a couple times and, and what that feels like. But what did it feel like for you in terms of, you know, whether you obviously don't have to identify the people, but how you felt yeah. in the moment as you were going through that and, yep. and you know, what you felt, how you felt, and, and what was sort of the result of it. Yeah, uh, so interesting, because I reflect on it a lot, and um, this was an individual who I have a lot of respect for, um, and we were having a conversation that was very shortly after George Floyd, um, and we were having a discussion at that time, and I will tell you, we had the discussion, and I could sense there was a pause on the phone. Um, we actually closed up the conversation, and what I actually have a ton of respect for is that that individual called me back, um, wasn't the exact day. It was like a week later and obviously had processed it. And to me, obviously, once she brought it to my attention, um, I was embarrassed, I think is probably the first word I would say is because obviously, I mean, there was no intent, you know, and I just clearly didn't recognize what I was saying um, was offensive in that way. And so to me, the first reaction was embarrassment. The section, you know, the second obviously was just appreciation because first of all, validated, I had a relationship with somebody that was comfortable and also, um, you know, recognized it was the right thing to do. And then for me, it was like the biggest learning moment, right? And, and recognizing that, you, you know, our relationship, especially with that person got even stronger. <laughs> It, it wasn't awkward after that because we could just call it out. And so to right. me, it's like, man, if I could do those single steps with, you know, and maybe I'd done more of that in the past and there wasn't an environment where that person could have said something. So, of course, I also look back like what stupid stuff did I say years ago? So, you know, you kind of got to move forward. But I think for me, that was the reaction. And so that's where that growing moment comes from. And I just wish we had more of those. You multiply that times like 100 people and you're starting to actually realize this is where the change happens. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful story and wonderful to share um, in terms of that because 
you're right. I, I think so many times, uh, and we we all have those opportunities um, where we, we we completely step on it, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. You don't have to be vilified in the moment. It's I'm human. I made a mistake. I'm going to be accountable for my mistake. And I and I want to, you know, and I have no intention of repeating again. And more importantly, and sort of the best thing that you shared is it helped the bond grow tighter. Yeah. So I I admire you for for the courage to be able to do that. Yes, admire the person for for picking up the phone and following up because I think that's as as important as anything else. But I'm incredibly grateful that um, uh, that you certainly picked up from something from it. So, well, great. Um, I think I ran out of questions for you, Annie. <laughs> I have fun. Work... Otherwise, I got to go back in meetings. <laughs> I, was like, oh, yeah. I was like, I had a ton of work questions for you. <laughs> but I'm not going to force that on you, force that on you while we're, we're here. Um, I, uh, is there anything that you would want to leave with or, or in your own thoughts? I know I'm going to give mine in terms of summary, but um, um, anything that you'd want to leave, uh, leave our listeners with? Yeah, I'm just... Um... You know, we've gone through a lot as uh, as mankind over the last couple of years with COVID and things like that. Now we're actually flipping to 2023. Um, and, you know, it's early um, and, you know, it's not been, a, you know, smooth sailing, but I'm encouraged and like looking forward to it in this very strange way. And I think some of it's um, a lot of it does have to do with our excitement around the momentum of DEI and what it could, you know, how we could actually really continue to make, um, you know, progress in that area here. It sounds so. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about 2023, and I'm going to stick with that until it tells me otherwise. Until we have like alien invasions or whatever else is going to come. I don't know. <laughs> At this point in time, we keep talking about the asteroids that that are happening in healthcare and in our world, and I, I was like, I don't need the real the real deal. So I hear yeah, you. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I always appreciate your energy and your partnership. And so, thanks for coming here and doing this with us. Um, and um, totally looking forward to continuing our dialogue. And um, since this is totally going to be successful and this particular episode is just going to bring tons of viewers, we'll probably bring it back to. Heck yeah. Sign <laughs> me up. <sighs> great. All right. Thank you guys. Thanks, Annie. All right. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for Crossing the Chasm a Sound Physicians podcast. Make sure to subscribe to Crossing the Chasm wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Physicians is a multi-specialty medical group committed to improving quality and reducing the cost of healthcare for patients in communities across the country. Learn more at www.soundphysicians.com.